Thank you so much, Dan, and children, and choir, and instrumentalists, and ringers for beautiful, beautiful Christmas worship this morning. We continue in our sermon series from Matthew's Gospels. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read verse 31 through 40. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. Sheep, goats, and God. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with them, they will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he shall put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers of mine, even until the least of them, you did it to me. He showed up at the church many years ago. He boldly went to the receptionist and said, I need to borrow a computer because I need to write a letter. Now, we didn't know him from Adam's house cat, so we weren't about to give him a computer. So we tried to explain if he would just write down his letter on a piece of paper, then we would have some of the office staff type his paper, his letter, and give it back to him that he didn't really need the computer himself. And so he agreed to that. We handed him a pad and a, and a pen and told him to write down what he wanted typed up, and then we would type it up. And we were all thinking to ourselves, now this should really be interesting what this guy's going to write. We had no idea. This is his typed letter. Of the ten leopards, the Bible says that only one leper returned to give thanks. And I have said, should I pass through Amarillo again, I would take the time to thank them for a particular act of kindness done to me 40 years ago ago. I was in the military and in Amarillo for only three months, but a friend of mine brought me to the First Baptist where every Sunday after church the congregation would feed us. The preacher preached in earnest, but I don't remember a word that he said. The food was excellent and plentiful, but I do not remember what we ate. What I do remember is I couldn't figure out why these people these people treated me so well, the people of First Baptist Church of Amarillo. Generally speaking, people don't much care for soldiers around a military base. 
I left Texas in wonderment at you folks. Why would you care about me? I was an awful boy, and I was a worse man. In 14 years, I managed to destroy my life in desperation, I went to visit a little Baptist church, and the people were just like the folks at the First Baptist Church of Amarillo. And I, I was trying to figure out why people were like that. They won me to themselves. The result being, I, I continued to go because I liked the people, not the message, until one day the light shone through and I got saved. I've been preaching the gospel now for 22 years and hold preacher school for the Appalachian ministers, and I tell them, you be like First Baptist Amarillo. I know what it was that I saw in them. It was Jesus. If you're still the same church, I'll see you in heaven. Thanks for showing me what Jesus would do when he met the likes of me. Wow. What we thought would be silly gibberish was a heartwarming, heartfelt thanks to this church. There are some of you who are here who participated in that ministry when there was a base here so long ago. Some of you have even forgotten about that, but, but he remembered. In fact, he couldn't get past it. He couldn't figure out why you loved him. And when he left First Baptist Church, there was a destructive stint in his life. And well, God was working with him, and he found another Baptist church, a little one this time, but it didn't matter, did it? Little or big, he felt the same love in God's house. For you see, there was no reason for us to love him that way, but we did. I love what he said about that little Baptist church it wasn't Jesus he saw first. It was their love, he says. They won me to themselves. As a result, I kept attending, and then the light shone through, and he found Jesus. Signed, Preacher Paul, 2922 Mutton Hollow Road, Kodiak, Tennessee, area code 37764. We are saved by grace. Saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, listen to me clearly before I get into this, we are not saved by works. It is His work, His faithfulness on the cross that brings us into the kingdom of God, not anything we have done or will do. But when you read a passage like this, you realize we are saved by faith, but our works really do matter. In fact, over and over again in the New Testament, we see that the judgment scenes for the people of God who were saved by grace for the act of Jesus on the cross, we are judged by our deeds, our works, our fruit. In fact, I'll be so bold as to tell you this, every New Testament judgment scene is a judgment based on deeds. Every one. You might not know that. In fact, I, I can't find you one that isn't, and that'll be your homework assignment if you think I'm wrong. Show me a judgment scene where the people are, of God are judged on something other than their works, their deeds, or their fruit. They're not. That is upon which we are judged. 
over and over again in Scripture, we have the judgment scene. It's a division of people based upon works and deeds. In fact, we have to be careful when we come to the New Testament that we do not read it with the presupposition of lenses, that we've already made up our mind what the text says, so we don't read it at face value in context for what it says. What it says in Matthew 25 is there's a judgment scene, and some are sheep and some are goats, and it's based upon the works and the deeds of those who are being separated. Put another way, we are saved by grace, but if we're truly saved by grace, then our hands will show what's in our heart. The people of God, the people of faith, are forever doing good deeds and producing good fruit. God's people are full of acts of kindness and grace. You see, no one in this room has ever been led to Jesus or saved by grace and faith for the purpose of being shelved. You are saved in order that you will serve, that you will produce good fruit and good deeds, and that you will serve the people of God and reach out to those who do not yet know God. And before we serve any other entity, we are to serve the body of Christ, the local church, first and foremost. We serve our church through our tithing, through our stewardship to our church. We serve through a myriad of ministries and missions that take place every day at First Baptist Church, and they are countless. We are serving, plugging in with God's people in God's house to produce ministries that change lives like, well, like Preacher Paul. We have our Joy of the World tree where you, you take names and you buy children a gift for Christmas. This week we had a workman who's not a member of this church. He was here working uh, with a, a contractor, a subcontractor, fixing a particular problem we were having. And I noticed that he had taken a name from, he accidentally, I just ran in, into him, and I, I noticed he had taken a name from that tree, and I thought that a little bit odd. And so I thanked him. I said, I, I thank you a lot for doing that. You didn't have to do that. You know, he's not even a member here. And he said, my name used to be on that tree. He took a name because his name used to be on that tree. You take a name because your name has never been on that tree. The ministries and missions of this church have an impact on this city, this state, and this world. The first thing I want you to notice about works are this. God remembers our works. Nehemiah 13, 14, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Now, whether it's Nehemiah, the Old Testament, he's saying, you remember my act of worship, my duty in the place of worship, in the house of God among the people. God, remember, O God, my deeds. And God remembers, or Hebrews 6. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things accompanying salvation, though we are speaking this way, for God is not unjust as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in ministering and still ministering to the saints. Whether it's Nehemiah or the unknown author of the book of Hebrews, God remembers the work of God's people in God's house on behalf of the saints and beyond. God remembers 
our works. In fact, it's over and over again. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 6, he admonishes them, do not be sluggish in regard to the works for the kingdom of God and the people of God. In our passage here in Matthew, you know it well. It's the dividing of the sheep and the goats. And he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was naked and you clothed me. And I was in prison and, and sick and in the hospital. And you came and you visited me. The righteous are as confused as the wicked. And they, they say, Lord, we never gave you anything when you were hungry, and we never gave you drink when you were thirsty, and we never clothed you when you were naked. I don't remember coming to visit you in the hospital or the prison. And Jesus says, oh, when you do it to the least of these, you have done it to me. You can almost see those kinds of, of judgment scenes. When we're called to answer for our work, and again, every judgment scene, the people of God are judged based on their work. And you can almost see that scene when we're before God in our lives, and he asks us those kinds of questions. And I'll just use myself for example. You could think of your own something like this, and you go before the Lord, and he says, Batson, look up March the 6th, 1973, and I I look it up, and I won president of the fifth grade class, and I beat a girl named Dawn. She was redheaded. I still remembered it was a contentious election. And, Lord, you're really proud of that, are you? He said, no, I'm not, not even thinking about that. He said, it was on that day you shared your lunch with a boy who said he forgot his, but you noticed he'd been forgetting his lunch a lot lately. He kind of looked like a hungry lion at a downed antelope as he watched the other children eat their lunches that day. And I remember that that day, not the other things. We could go through our lives over and over again, and we, we kind of had this scene where God peers into our lives and he remembers the things that we have and that we have not done. On that day, there'll be folks who are absolutely certain that they are sheep. They saunter over to the king's right side. He'll stop them and say, oh, no, no, you don't belong here. And they'll say, we have done miracles in your name. We have preached your word. And he will say, go over the goats. I never knew you. And then there'll be others who have broken and sinful lives who are dependent upon the grace of God. Like preacher Paul, when grace of God has changed their sinful lives, they have in turn lived out their faith with the works, the deeds, and the fruits of their faith. And God will say, of course. God has not saved you to shelve you. You are to give and serve and produce fruit for this kingdom. Maybe it's a cup of cold water in his name. If God has given you the gift to teach, it's not for you to just come and listen and soak up. Yeah, it's a lot of work to study a lesson and get ready and prepared and be faithful and be here on Sundays to teach. But if God has given you the gift of teaching, he did not give you that gift to sit and listen to me only. He wants you to teach. 
If God has given you a special love for children and he didn't give you that love to see how precious they are at pastor's pals, he has given you that love for children to teach Sunday school or Bible school or one of the mission activities or choirs. If God has given you the gift of singing, God did not give you that gift to be silent. He gave you that gift that you would lead in worship and glorify him with your voice. And you shouldn't be here. If you have that gift, you should be here. God gives us gifts that we would serve his people. There's a second thing. Not only does God remember, but notice they are evidence of our faith. What we learn in Matthew 25, we learn in James 2 as well. What use is it, my brothers? If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that kind of faith save him? For brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of them says, go in peace and be warmed and filled, and you, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, but I'll show you my faith by the works. This is the brother of Jesus, and more than any other New Testament writer, he intertwines the idea of faith and fruit, faith in deeds. In fact, what he says is, if you have a kind of faith that doesn't produce deeds for the kingdom of God, that kind of faith is not a saving faith. You cannot say, I'm a person of faith, and you be a person of works. No, he says, they're one and the same thing. In fact, the brother of Jesus says, I will show you my faith by my deeds, by my works. Well, there's a third thing I want you to see about works. Not only does God remember them, and I want you to remember that as well. Not only are they evidence of our faith, but thirdly, we're going to be judged by our works. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What I, what I want you to see in the New Testament, this idea of being judged by our deeds is so prevalent, it almost doesn't matter what New Testament writer or teacher you turn to. I, I've shown you Jesus says it in Matthew 25. I've shown you that the brother of Jesus says it in James. I've shown you that the unknown author of Hebrews says the same. And now I'm going to show you that Paul does exactly the same thing. You can't find a New Testament writer, speaker, or teacher that would tell you any other thing than what I'm telling you today. 1 Corinthians 3. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Paul writes, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he, how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. That is Jesus Christ. That's our salvation. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he doesn't lose his salvation. He himself shall be saved, yet so as through the fire. What Paul is saying is this. 
Our salvation is the foundation, which is what Jesus has done on the cross for you and for me. And then upon that foundation of our faith in Jesus, we build by our deeds, by what we do. We build upon that foundation that God has given us. And he says, some of you are going to build with gold and silver. And on judgment day, when the fire of judgment comes, then those deeds will remain and you will be rewarded. But if you build with hay and straw and wood, when the fire descends, oh, your soul is saved by the cross of Christ, but your there'll be a loss of your reward because he says it will not not make it through the fire. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what he has done. D-O-N-E, good or bad. In fact, it's remarkable as you look at the judgment scenes in the New Testament, how much it is based upon what we do. John 15, every branch in me, Jesus said, that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Romans chapter 2, because of the stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his You guessed it, D-E-E-D-S, deeds. It may not be what you want me to preach, but it's what the New Testament teaches. It may not be even what I would like to say, but it's what Paul says, it's what Jesus says, it's what James says. In fact, Matthew says it again in Matthew 16. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is going to come in the glory of his Father and of his angels And then he will recompense every man according to his, this is Jesus speaking, D-E-E-D-S. You just can't skirt around it in the New Testament. There's a fourth thing we're taught about works. Our, Our deeds cause people to glorify God. Our deeds call people to glorify God. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 12. In fact, here now we have, we've had Paul, we've had James, we've had the author of Hebrews, we've had Jesus, and now Peter himself. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer they may, on the count of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of the visitation. In fact, when you look at antiquity and in history, what stood out about this community called church, this followers of Christ, is they went in and loved where no one else was willing to go. They went in and did deeds of kindness that no one else was willing to do. They served and they loved without expectation of payment and return in such a way as the culture had no way other than to take notice. And the people of God love like that, then they learned that God 
loves like that. Our deeds cause people to glorify God. And finally, in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 and in Titus 3, those of us who teach the Word of God are told we are to exhort the community to do good works. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but upon God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, Teach your people not to have confidence in their riches, but rather to be rich in good deeds, to be generous in giving and kind. He tells Titus the same thing in Titus 3. This is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want to speak to you confidently so that those who have believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Let our people... Learn to engage in good deeds, he says, to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. We are only saved by what Jesus has done on the cross. There's nothing that you and I can do. There is no work. There's nothing that we can do to merit eternal life, that it comes through what Jesus, his work on the cross, his payment for our sins, we are saved by our faith in Jesus. But if we're saved truly by faith in Jesus, then we produce the fruit of the faith. That which is truly in the heart will always show eventually in the hands. So much so that the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says, you must show your faith by your works. Every single time in the New Testament, whether it's Jesus or James or Paul or Peter or an unknown writer of the, the epistle Hebrews, every single time judgment is based upon what we have done with our faith. It makes a difference, doesn't it? For a guy to remember 40 years later and come in the office and say, I need a computer because I want to thank the people who loved me when I had no expectation of their love. People who cared for me when I had no expectation of their care. When we love like God loves, when we do those kinds of deeds, like taking all the, the prisoners here in our community a gift for Christmas as we're going to do, people who have no right to expect our love receive our love and they know the one who loves them. Finish the work. Finish the faith that God has begun in you. Let us pray. Oh God, you have called us to be a busy people, to not be a self-centered people, but to be busy serving the least of these 
starting in our own community and then to the whole world. Thank you that First Baptist is a church just like that. Their heartbeat is missions and ministry and reaching out and the goodness and the care of our Christ. Father, I pray this morning that we're all challenged by this word. That the time that God gives us the greatest gift, that Bethlehem baby, that we know that we're to be givers to, of our time and our talents, that we are to produce fruit for the kingdom through his church. In Jesus' name, amen.